Welcome to another episode of Down Ballot Counts. I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor at Bloomberg Government. And with me as always is senior reporter Greg Giroux. We're recording this on Monday, February 1st. Collective Washington was pretty happy when 2020 was over. And I think I speak for all of us when I say, thank goodness January 2021 is now in the rearview mirror. But amid the chaos was some tasty 2022 news as Republican Senator Rob Portman of Ohio announced unexpectedly that he's had enough with this place and won't run for re-election. So we'll take a look at what it means for the next fight for the Senate. We were there with 99% of the precincts counted. Number of other key down-ballot races. This is a very dramatic turn. We will have to look. House will be in order. Chair requests that members clear the aisle, take seats, and cease audible conversation. From Washington. This is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. Up first is Jerome's Gem. Jerome's Gem, a political number of note I introduce on every Down Ballot Counts episode, is 34. There are 34 U.S. Senate elections presently scheduled for 2022. Republicans are the defending party in 20 of those elections. Donald Trump carried 18 of those 20 states in 2020. The exceptions are Pennsylvania, where Republican Pat Toomey isn't seeking re-election, and Wisconsin, where Ron Johnson is weighing whether to seek a third term. Fourteen Democratic-held seats are on the ballot. All of those states voted for Joe Biden in 2020, though some of them were very competitive. They include Georgia, where Raphael Warnock won a special runoff election last month, and Arizona, where Mark Kelly was elected last November. Warnock and Kelly won special elections to complete terms that predecessors won in 2016, and that's why they're up for re-election six years later in 2022. We'll have a lot more about the 2022 Senate election map coming right up, but that, ladies and gentlemen, is your Jero's gem. All right, up next, we'll break down the ins and outs of the 2022 Senate landscape. This is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. The twin Georgia races not only handed Democrats control of the Senate for the next two years, they also set the pieces in the 2022 fight for the majority. With a 50-50 split in the chamber, the movement of even one seat would either hand Republicans the majority or mean Democrats no longer need Kamala Harris to break ties and party line votes. But right now, the universe of competitive seats is fairly slim. Cook Political Report rates only six of the 34 seats up for election next year in the most competitive categories, which are either toss-up, lean Democrat, or lean Republican. It was five before Portman's retirement announcement. Greg, how competitive do you think that Ohio race can be? And do any of the early names floating as possible contenders stand out to you? Well, it's pretty interesting that the you know every time there's a retirement announcement, there's always like a long list of potential candidates that seems to float out there. And a lot of people have already taken themselves out of the running. Um, I think it has the potential to be competitive. You have to give the Republicans the edge right now uh, in in light of recent election results. Donald Trump uh, won Ohio with ease in 2016 and 2020 with margins in the high single digits. If this had been, say, 15, 20 years ago when Ohio was clearly um, a quintessential swing state, I think it would be a toss-up to start. But I think you have to give the edge to the Republicans to start. Um, you know, I think on the Republican side, some people who've taken themselves out include Jim Jordan, a uh, prominent conservative in the House. Um, you know, you've got uh, some potential candidates like businessman uh, Bernie Moreno, who may uh, uh, be expected to run to succeed Portman, uh, not well known statewide yet. But Democrats don't have much of a bench here, Kyle. Republicans control the statewide offices. They have both houses of the state legislature. They have a 12 to 4 advantage in the U.S. House delegation. This may be the time 
for Tim Ryan to finally run for statewide office. Uh, he's been talking about it for some time. Uh, and the Republicans may well target him in redistricting, which may uh, want to push Ryan to seek that statewide office. But he'd be a competitive candidate, certainly. But um, you'd have to give the Republicans the early edge in Ohio, I think. Yeah. And, you know, all those times we we heard uh, Tim Ryan's name floated for, you know, statewide races in the past. Um, he, as he mentioned, I think a couple of years ago, uh, you know, had he run actually run in any of those races, he probably would have lost. And so he was actually pretty politically wise in waiting. So it'll be very interesting to see if he actually takes the leap this time. That will give us a real sense of how competitive he thinks it's going to be, of course. Uh, but I but you mentioned one name I think was probably the most interesting of the bunch who's not running. And that's Jim Jordan, the House Freedom Caucus leader, top congressional ally of Trump. You know, I wonder a couple things about this, by the way. Um, did he look at his profile and background and think winning statewide isn't a sure bet? And does this mean he's eyeing a top spot in House leadership? Yeah, I think it's a very good point. I think um, his prospects, I think, are probably brighter in the House where he's already served more than a decade. Uh, he's clearly a major power in conservative circles nationwide and in the House. And you know, why give up a, a safe House seat, a House seat that's probably going to remain safe for him after redistricting to pursue a statewide race that, you know, he might be a slight favorite to win, but probably not the strongest statewide candidate for the Republicans. Why give up a safe seat to run for an iffy statewide race when you have uh, certainly your stock is much higher in the chamber in which you already serve in the House? All right. So the two states rated as toss-ups right now are the two others where senators have already announced they're not running. And that's, um, and they're both Republicans. Pat Toomey's retiring in Pennsylvania and Richard Burr's retiring in North Carolina. Uh, Biden, of course, won Pennsylvania and it has a Democratic senator there uh, in Bob Casey. So that's an obvious pickup opportunity for Democrats. But then North Carolina, Biden lost it by only about 75,000 votes. And the Democratic Senate nominees, Cal, uh, Cal Cunningham last year, lost it by only, a, you know, 20,000 votes more than that despite a sexting scandal at the end of this campaign. Um, which one of those two seats do you see is more likely to flip? I'm guessing you're going to say Pennsylvania, but North Carolina looks pretty competitive too. Yeah, I think they both look competitive. Both states were pretty close in the 2020 election, as you mentioned. Uh, North Carolina has always been one that's been eluding the Democrats a bit of late, you know, that leans Republican by just a few points. And, uh, of course, there's a lot of high hopes for Cal Cunningham unseating Tom Tillis uh, the 2020 election didn't happen, of course. He had that scandal at the end. I'm not sure how much that affected the outcome, but uh, clearly um, it was uh, a distraction for the Democrats. They uh, could have gone without. Um, now we've got at least two uh, Democratic uh, candidates announced for that seat. Uh, Jeff Jackson, who's a state senator, sort of in the uh, Cunningham mold, minus the scandals Democrats hope. Uh, there's been some talk that maybe he is a Cunningham-like candidate uh, without the baggage. Um, and then uh, Erica Smith, who's a, a liberal, a more progressive uh, candidate, um, who ran for this uh, seat in uh, 2020 and uh, you know lost in the Democratic primary to Cunningham. And then on the Republican side, an early announced candidate is Mark Walker, who's a former House member who was uh, redrawn out of his uh, House seat. He was active in the uh, Freedom Caucus, aligned with uh, people like Jim Jordan of Ohio, who we've mentioned. Yeah, I think you have to... Um, Consider that a highly competitive state right now. Um, maybe a, a slight edge to the Republicans at start, just with the the, uh, the the political performance of North Carolina in recent elections. But it's it's going to be a state to watch. All right. Well, the other states we have to mention are Wisconsin, where, as you noted, Republican Ron Johnson hasn't said if he'll break his term limit pledge and run for a third term. 
And then the two Democratic special election winners, Mark Kelly in Arizona and Raphael Warnock in Georgia. Those races are all rated as leaning in the incumbent's favor uh, as of today. You have to think Wisconsin would quickly move to a toss-up if Johnson does retire. Um, it may do so anyway, um, if depending on who runs. But I'd also expect to see Warnock's race do the same if Republicans put up a decent candidate and if they can avoid a contentious primary. Yeah, I think that's right. I think if Ron Johnson runs, he'll face a competitive race, but certainly it moves to a, a toss-up, I would think, if he decides to uh, not seek a third term. He originally said he was going to serve just two terms. Uh, he's been wavering on that recently. Um, we'll have to wait and see if he's going to seek a third term after all. Uh, yeah, and I think those Arizona and Georgia seats are going to be highly competitive. Both states went for uh, Biden by the merest of whiskers in 2020. Uh, those incumbents do have to gear up and prepare to run again. Um, you know, I expect the Republicans to put up a, a strong candidate against Warnock, and I think they'll run competitively against Mark Kelly as well. Those are probably the two uh, toughest holds, clearly, for uh, the Democrats in Arizona and Georgia. And I just, I, I didn't talk about Pennsylvania at all, but yeah, I, I would mention uh, that briefly uh, earlier with t- with Pat Toomey retiring. That's going to be a race to watch on the Democratic side. Uh, you have candidates that include uh, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. He's the six foot eight, tattooed, shorts wearing Lieutenant Governor who ran for the Senate in 2016, came in third place in the primary. He'll be a leading Democratic candidate. And then on the Republican side, uh, that field is still, you know, shaping up early. But, um, you know, Sean Parnell, who ran for Congress against Connor Lamb, came close to beating him, may run for that seat. Uh, keeping an eye on someone like Ryan Costello, a former congressman who was drawn out of his seat there. But Pennsylvania is a seat to watch. But on the Democratic side, Arizona and Georgia are the states to watch. All right. So Cook um, and Inside Elections, you know, they rate these races early on. But of course, a lot depends on who runs and then also what happens in Congress for the next two years. So, you know, one overarching theme I think everyone should should watch out for is um, voters want to see what's going on in Washington and they may decide they want to be um, they want to seek a check on Democratic control or maybe they're going to like what they see and they're going to want and democratic voters are going to be as locked in as they were when trump was in office um, and they're going to turn out in the kinds of numbers they did in 2018. those are kind of the two different ways it could go and and today in february 1st um, we're not it's not so clear that's right it's not and um as you mentioned uh, alluded to uh the kind of typical midterm elections historical trends show that the opposition party Uh, gains seats in midterm elections. A little bit different in the Senate because that depends on the uh, partisan breakdown of the seats that are up in any uh, any given uh, two-year cycle. You do have 20 Republican-held seats and 14 Democratic-held seats, but it's not that bad of a map for the Republicans. You could see them make a seat gain of one or two on a map like this in a favorable political environment, and the historical trends seem to indicate that. But you know, the Democrats may want to uh, parlay their uh, advantages, having the presidency, the Senate in a 50-50 and a lean House majority to try and uh, pass a lot of things they think are popular with the American people. And under that thinking, if good poli- good policy is good politics, perhaps the Democrats could fend off uh, the Republicans' uh, the, the Republican campaign to win the majority in the Senate. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, it's uh, 21 months till the next election. That's certainly an eternity. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. We definitely have another fascinating cycle ahead of us. This is Down Ballot Counts. 
That's it for us today. I'll note here that Michael Bloomberg, the majority owner of Bloomberg Government's parent company, sought the Democratic presidential nomination. He endorsed Joe Biden on March 4th. Down Ballot Counts was produced by David Schultz. You can follow us on Twitter at Kyle Trigstad and at Greg Giroux. And be sure to check out all the great politics coverage on Bloomberg Government's website, about.bgov.com. Talk to you soon. This is Adam Allington, and I'm here to announce a new season of Uncommon Law, a narrative podcast series from Bloomberg Law. My co-hosts and I will speak with African-American attorneys and hear their perspectives on how big law is, or in some cases, isn't adapting to become more diverse and inclusive. It's not fair, but what can be better than being on the front lines of helping to make this country better for all of us? If not us, who? If not now, when? Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts.